Courage. I'm Leonard Lopez. The battle against climate change is no longer just an environmental or social issue, and climate change is now. Last year, climate-related disasters inflicted nearly $150 billion in damage to the nation's economy, according to data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. That was up nearly 50% from the year before. Bob Keefe, the executive director of Environmental Entrepreneurs, a national nonpartisan group of business owners, investors, and professionals who leverage economic research and their business perspective to advance policies that are both good for the environment and for the economy, joins me now to discuss climate economics, Washington, Wall Street, and the economic battle to save our planet, his new book from Roman and Littlefield. Welcome to our show. Thank you, Leonard. It's great to be with you. Hasn't the United Nations released an intergovernmental panel on climate change report that shows the world is now on a path where it may be too late to avoid an an increasing number of climate disasters? Well, we're definitely not headed in the right direction right now, Leonard. Um, but there's still time to act and there's still time to change. And based on the economic cost of climate change that we're continuing to see add up every single year, we've got to do more. Well, um, the, you know, the Office of Management and Budget released a report that claims mounting climate-related disasters will cost the federal government $2 trillion every year by the end of the century if we don't do right. something to prevent them. Right, right. That's right. And look, we're just talking about the direct costs of climate change in a lot of these cases. As you mentioned, NOAA reported last year that the United States had nearly $150 billion in direct damage from climate-related disasters. Of course, that's wildfires in the West hurricanes in the east so many that we ran out of names for them and drought and flooding in the nation's heartland that is now driving up the cost of everything from cornflakes to chicken. In New York alone, uh, Leonard, we had more than $10 billion worth of damage from climate-related disasters. Over the past five years, the cost of average more than $2.5 billion a year, according to NOAA statistics. And, you know, look at what happened with Hurricane Ida uh, in, in 2021. Uh, turned streets into rivers in New York. It flooded the subway system. MTA suffered something like $75 billion, excuse me, $75 million in damage. And the cleanup is still going on, but early estimates show that it might cost the region closer to $95 billion before everything's cleaned up. And I say cost the region and cost MTA, but what I really mean is it's going to cost us, taxpayers, because this is hitting us in the pocketbook. So where does your group, E2, uh, Environmental Entrepreneurs, come into this story? And what role does your own background in journalism play in this? Well, uh, so E2 is a national organization of business leaders, as you mentioned. Uh, we've been around for more than 20 years. And uh, our members, we've got about 11,000 members across the country who are business people, not businesses. Uh, they own, work, or invest in companies across the entire spectrum of the economy, Leonard. And, and what, they, what they know is that uh, the, the, um, uh, the economy and the environment are not at odds, uh, but they depend on each other. Yeah, you, you, you make the point, uh, your group, that a better environment and a stronger economy are not mutually exclusive. But right. are, the, are the media not doing... A, are the, the media doing an inadequate job in, in explaining that to the public? 
Well, um, yes, and, you know, I think, look, as a society, we've long viewed climate change as an environmental issue. We've seen it as a social issue. We've seen it as a health issue. Of course, climate change is all of those things. But uh, the point of my book, Climatonomics, and, and the work that we're doing at E2 now is to show that climate change is also now a huge economic issue. I mean, $150 billion, Leonard, that's a lot of money. That's mm. more than the gross domestic product of more than 15 U.S. states. Uh, but it's not just the direct costs of climate change we're talking about. Look at homeowners insurance rates. You know, when we watch houses go up in flames in California or get flooded in the east from hurricanes and flooding, uh, insurance rates go up. Homeowners insurance rates are up 40 percent in a decade's time. Fuel prices uh, have doubled in the past year uh, for a lot of reasons, inflation one of them. But also that's what happens when uh, a place like Iowa loses 40% of its um, uh, corn and soybean crop to flooding and disasters. It's what happens when a place like North Carolina, the number one poultry state in the country, loses 3 million chickens and turkeys to flooding because of back-to-back -back hurricanes. Prices are going up. Crop insurance rates, uh, crop insurance costs that we all as taxpayers pay to help farmers keep going uh, those costs are up $27 billion from climate-related disasters alone, according to, to Stanford University. So uh, this is a pocketbook issue now, and we need to address it as such. Having the good news is we can do it. Haven't some insurers refused to write homeowners' policies anymore absolutely. as climate change drives up the risk and, and cost of disasters? Uh, absolutely. And as uh, insurers in Florida recently said, uh, this is a crisis. Um, with hurricane season starting up again this year, uh, uh, there's a lot of homes on the Florida coast and all up and down the eastern seaboard that are uh, once again under tremendous threat. But even on the west coast in California, yes, you can't get insurance uh, for your house if it's in certain parts that are prone to fire. And unfortunately, there are more and more areas of this part of the country that are prone to fire. Has the impact of the term global warming been lessened somewhat by calling it climate change? We're, we're using both terms interchangeably here. Yeah, well, it's it's clear that the globe is warming, warming, period. You know, in New York alone, the average annual temperature statewide has risen about two and a half degrees since 1970 in the state of New York. That's according to state uh, 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 data. Uh, and, of course, the entire planet is warming. Yes, it's global morning, warming. And the warming of the globe is exacerbating and increasing and intensifying a changing climate that is uh, making these storms, making these fires, making these droughts, making this flooding uh, all the more worse and substantially worse. And, you know, people say, of course, the, the climate changes and, of course, the weather changes. But it doesn't change at this level, Leonard, that uh, uh, without millennia of time. In the past five years, we've had the four most expensive hurricanes uh, in this country. In the past five years, we've had three of the most expensive wildfires in history. We had the most expensive freeze in Texas of all places last year. You'll remember $130 billion worth of uh, damage there, including 600 million in agriculture losses. We had the most expensive thunderstorm event 
the derecho that I mentioned that hit Iowa and Indiana in 2020 caused $7.5 billion worth of damage. So uh, yes, the globe is warming. Yes, the, cl the climate is changing. And yes, uh, we're all getting hit in the pocketbook because of it. Wildfires, extreme flooding, and droughts are often called natural disasters. Is that a misnomer? Well, there's nothing natural that is happening uh, anymore because we're, we're pumping so much carbon dioxide into our atmosphere that it's making the natural unnatural, if you will. Has it become a politically partisan issue? Haven't many politicians resisted enacting new laws to slow down global warming? Well, you know, I spent six years in Washington, Leonard, and I can tell you that anything that can be made political will be made uh -huh. political <laughs> by some people. But the fact of the matter is there's nothing that should be political or partisan about climate change or climate action. These aren't, look, these these disasters aren't just happening in California or New York or or, or other blue states, so to speak. They're happening in North Carolina and Florida and Texas uh, in our nation's heartland. Um, at the same time, the my organization, E2, one of the things that we've done for over 10 years now, Leonard, is to track clean energy jobs around the country. And what we've seen uh, is that there are about 3.2 million people that work in clean energy now. And when you separate those out, there's almost as many, as many working in Republican congressional districts as work in uh, Democratic congressional districts. Look at Kentucky. There's more people that work in electric vehicles right now than work in coal. Uh, look at Texas. Texas is the number one wind state in the country right now, wind energy state in the country, followed by Iowa, two very strong Republican uh, uh, states, red states. So, you know, anybody that tells you that this is some kind of left-wing liberal coastal elite uh, clean energy propaganda isn't looking in their backyards because these jobs and this growth is happening in every part of the country in clean energy. But didn't and, Donald and Trump claim that? Too. Didn't Donald Trump Trump claim that windmills cause cancer? I remember when he did that speech, he went. Rrr, rrr, rrr. That's right. Well, yeah. According to Donald Trump, windmills cause cancer. They kill all our birds, and um, and they don't work. Uh, but data that just came out today shows that solar and wind for the first time outpaced nuclear energy in this country. In in New York alone, almost 28%, I think, of the state's energy comes now from renewables. And we're just getting started. By the way, if, uh, if we care about birds, uh, which we all should, uh, we need to make these wind turbines and these wind farms better. We also need to quit using window glass and get rid of cats, I think, because those are those are killing more birds than wind turbines. <laughs> Your forward is by Tom Steyer, who is one of the first politicians to uh, say that we had a real problem here. And, and Tom knows it from an investment standpoint uh, uh, as much as anybody. You know, he was before he was a presidential candidate. In the last presidential election, he was a, uh, or, and still is, a uh, very astute investor. And Tom uh, recently started a, a new investment firm called Galvanized Clean Energy. And uh, it's because he realizes the potential in this. 
and the need to do it. Wasn't Biden slow to address climate action? You know what? He was, Leonard, and 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 that's interesting. You bring that up, and the, there's a, a section of the book, climate, my book, Climatonomics, that addresses that. Uh, you know, this past presidential election, we had climate change became an issue for the first time uh, at the scale that it was. Nobody really ever talked about climate change as a as uh, or climate action for that matter uh, on the presidential. Uh, campaign trail in a way like it, like it did, like they did uh, in the last election. Uh, Governor Jay Inslee, uh, an early candidate, led this, led the climate um, platform, if you will, uh, and deservedly so, given the, the the great and fantastic work that he's done in the state of Washington over the years. But uh, every single presidential candidate made climate change an issue. Uh, on the Democratic side, of course, Donald Trump did on the on the other side, but uh, uh, in his opinion, it was a hoax uh, perpetrated by the Chinese. But, Despite the fact that solar and wind are the cheapest power sources available in many parts of the country. That's right. That's right. And that's kind of the the other side of the climate nomics coin. I like to say, Leonard, you know, the, there's a good side to this, which is now we have the technology to address this. Now we, the technology has caught up with the problem. As you mentioned, solar and wind is now the cheapest energy available in just about every part of the country. Every single automaker, as we know, is shifting to electric vehicles. Consumer Reports survey came out just today saying that 40% uh, of Americans plan to buy or lease an electric vehicle when they can. That's, that's a big number. That's because uh, they cost less to operate and... Uh, and right now, everybody's concerned about gas prices. Well, who who wants to keep paying five, six, seven dollars a gallon for gasoline and and remain shackled to foreign despots who who control the the global oil market? Not me. Um, uh, and the prices of EVs are coming down. Uh, but the fact is, we have to make this technology more available and more affordable to more Americans. It, it's here now. We need to make it more available to more people. Uh, and that's the job of, of Congress. And that's the job of our state legislatures and our governors. Uh, and we need to do more on that, especially on the federal front. Is it ironic that Elon Musk, a major clean energy player, is anti-union? Is it ironic? <laughs> uh, I don't know that it's ironic. It's unfortunate, maybe. My guest is Bob Keefe, K-E-E-F-E. -E -E. His book, Climatonomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet, is published by uh, Roman and Littlefield. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. Uh, there's budget reconciliation legislation that would invest about $500 billion over 10 years into building a cleaner economy, in part by giving consumers and businesses tax credits to build up and buy more clean energy and clean vehicles. What's the problem there, that it would uh, the tax credits are upsetting some people, uh, some politicians? Well, as I mentioned before, the, the budget reconciliation package that's before Congress right now and uh, from the latest intel that we're hearing, it's uh, fortunately getting the discussions are, are are getting restarted on that. Thanks to Leader 
Chuck Schumer. Um, uh, but yes, it would do what, what I mentioned earlier is make electric vehicles, make clean energy, make energy efficiency improvements more affordable and more available to more Americans. But with climate-related um, disasters now costing us $150 billion a year, doesn't yeah. $50 billion a year for 10 years sound like a bargain, actually? It seems like a bargain to me, Leonard, and it's only going to get... Uh, it's only going to get more expensive the longer we put this off. I mean, look, we've been talking about doing something on climate change for decades now. Uh, we've been kicking this can down the road. Fact is, the bills are coming due for all of us. You begin your book by saying that May 26, 2021 was a bad day to be in the oil and gas business. Why begin there? Uh, well, I thought that was significant because on that day, uh, the th three biggest um, petroleum fossil fuel companies in the world faced a reckoning, and it faced a they faced a reckoning for sh from shareholders. Um, you know, at Exxon Mobil's annual meeting, shareholders uh, elected three new board members because they were frustrated and fed up with the company sticking its head in the sand over climate change and not doing a single thing to assure the, the company's future uh, by shifting to cleaner sources of energy. Uh, meanwhile, in The Hague, Royal Dutch Shell uh, was found uh, essentially guilty by a court in The Hague of breaching its corporate op obligations and hurting the economy of that, that country. And then at Chevron, uh, again, on that same very same day, May 26th of last year, at Chevron, uh, shareholders also took action uh, and, and forced the company to start looking at reducing its carbon emissions. But well, why did now, they have to force the company to do that? Uh, because the because the companies weren't moving fast enough. Do they, do they see it as a threat, or or shouldn't they be uh, seeing it as creating new opportunities for investors and entrepreneurs? Well, they, they saw it as a threat that the companies were essentially um, stuck in the past and shackled to the businesses that they that were changing. Uh, you know, it's clear that the that the world is moving to cleaner energy. These shareholders were frustrated that their companies weren't doing that. Um, and that's never happened before either, by the way. And and again, it 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 it. Um, kind of uh, shows that the the importance of economic issues into moving the needle on climate action. Last year, didn't taxpayers spend about $4.5 billion in firefighting costs to battle nearly 50,000 wildfires uh, nationwide? That's right. You know, that's... So, so that's taxpayers are paying for that. Taxpayers are paying for that. Uh, we've had to increase our firefighting capabilities, not just in California, but all across the country. Costs are going up. Billions of dollars are being added to bring on more firefighters to continue to fight this. Another economic cost, if you will. And we're spending tens of billion dollars in taxes to clean up military bases in North Carolina, Florida, Nebraska, and elsewhere that were hit by hurricanes and flooding in recent years. Now, right. now we did have hurricanes and flooding in the past. What's the difference here? Well, the difference is, again, they're, they're growing in intensity, they're growing in frequency, 
and the costs that come with them are growing. You know, as I mentioned, just in the past five years alone, we've had uh, four of the worst hurricanes, the most expensive hurricanes, three of the most expensive wildfires, the most expensive freeze, the most expensive thunderstorm. Uh, and look at, you mentioned those military bases. Uh, I actually grew up in North Carolina. I know Camp Lejeune very, very well. I was a military brat, actually, uh, on the coast of North Carolina. I hear uh, it in your accent. <laughs> well, and in, and, and in 2018, when Hurricane Florence came ashore, uh, by the way, two years after another hurricane and six months before another hurricane, uh, something like 70% of all housing units, 6,000 housing units, at Camp Lejeune were flooded. Uh, they needed to be repaired. 100% of all other non-housing military bases were flooded there. Taxpayers have to clean that up about three and a half million dollars. Six months later, a few, uh, I think less than six months later, Hurricane Michael slammed into Tyndall Air Force Base in the panhandle of Florida. We may remember Mexico Beach and the destruction that happened there. Tyndall uh, suffered 100% of damage to every single building there was damaged, had to be repaired, had to be flooded. The uh, Several of the most expensive fighter jets in the world were damaged and had to be moved. Taxpayers pay for that. Shortly after that, in Offutt Air Force Base, Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska, home of the doomsday uh, planes, the planes that become the Flying White House in case of nuclear war. They couldn't get off of the ground, apparently, because the runways were so flooded. They're still cleaning up that mess as well. So, uh, and when I say they, again, I mean us, because this is taxpayer dollars. And is it all accelerating? Last year, climate-related disasters caused $145 billion worth of damage to the U.S. economy. That's more than the gross state product of West Virginia, Arkansas, and Nebraska, or 13 yeah. other states, nearly 50% more than the previous year. That's right. That's right. And if you look over the past uh, uh, 10 years or so, the the average is something above $150 billion. Uh, so, yeah, this is it's, it's adding up. No doubt about it. And then there were all these other scary stories. There was a tornado in Ohio on Wednesday. But even more scary and more long lasting a problem is the Great Salt Lake is drying up. Is that related to what we're discussing? Well, absolutely. The drought in, this, in, the, in the Western United States is something we haven't seen, according to scientists, in, in over 1,200 years, I believe. And it's not just the Great Salt Lake, it's Lake Mead and it's Lake Powell, uh, where we're hearing stories, uh, scintillating stories of dead bodies coming up in barrels, for one thing, uh, but also the, the lake levels in those lakes are getting so low that it's threatening the water supply for the western half of the United States, uh, but it's also threatening the electricity supply since uh, the hydroelectric dams there are facing serious problems if there's not enough water to run over them to produce electricity. No, but where is the water uh, going? Is it evaporating? Because I would have thought that the, uh, the global warming would it be melting ice in the mountains and feeding those lakes? Well, it's a, I, think it's a, I think it's a combination of drought, Leonard, and it's a combination of lack of rainfall. I'm, I'm actually in Southern California right now, 
And I can't remember the last time it rained. Our rainy season was almost non-existent. And uh, we're facing a what's, what's shaping up to be a horrific fire season. Not that it's a season anymore. It happens year round. We've already had uh, several hundred fires in this state and others. Uh, and the wildfire season typically doesn't start until later in the year. There were, uh, when scientists analyzed how climate change affected uh, this recent heat wave, there were record-breaking temperatures during a heat wave in more than a dozen cities in the western right. U.S. and Texas this June. Uh, in fact, many cities such as Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Houston set new heat records almost every summer. But when, when scientists analyzed how climate change affected that heat wave, they found it was virtually impossible without a significant change in climate. That's right. That, that's right. And think about what happens when, when temperatures rise. Of course, we're all going to turn on air conditioners if we have them, uh, which uses a lot more electricity, uh, which unless we're using clean uh, electricity produces more carbon emissions. Um, uh, but we're, we're also seeing some, some crazy unexpected things from uh, from this recent heat wave and others. Look at what happened in San Francisco. Uh, the Bay Area is supposed to be one of the more temperate places of our of our nation, especially in the summer. If you remember the old Jack London adage about the coldest winter he ever spent. But in, in the Bay Area, temperatures reached over 100 degrees. Uh, the rails of the BART system hit 140 degrees in some places, which caused a train derailment. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in the East Bay of, of, of the Bay Area. Fortunately, nobody was hurt or killed, but somebody's got to pay to clean that mess up. Uh, and people had to find new ways to get to work. Look at what happened in Kansas. Crazy, more than 2,000 uh, head of cattle fell over dead from heat stroke in the state of Kansas. Thousands of cows <laughs> uh, valued at something like $4 million to, to local farmers. But, you know, guess what? We we're going to pay more for that than hamburgers. Well, the cattle also are adding to global warming because they produce methane. That's uh, right. And it, I just heard the other day that it's been suggested that if we put certain things in their feed, we might cut down on methane. Well, that's part of the good news, Leonard, is that, uh, you know, again, the technology is cut. It, our, our technology and our innovation is catching up with our problem. And uh, before I do what I, I do now, I spent about 20 years as a journalist. And a lot of that time I spent as a technology journalist in Silicon Valley and Austin, Texas, uh, and then covered Washington and the White House for a while. But, you know, I distinctly remember sitting in a meeting with other journalists and Steve Jobs at Apple. And you probably remember this, but I, I remember Steve standing up and saying, Someday you're going to have a thousand songs in your pocket. Someday you're going to be taking pictures with your cell phone. <laughs> I remember talking to Jeff Bezos at Amazon back when he was struggling to just to sell books online and him saying, someday you're going to be able to buy everything you can buy at a grocery store or any other store for that matter on my website and we'll get it delivered to you right away. And we wrote that down as skeptical journalists and said, sure, whatever. Same thing with Google. When the Google guys told us that uh, we were going to be able to find anything on the internet, any place in the world from any computer, sure, that was 
that was uh, crazy talk back then. But look how quickly those things have changed our lives and changed our world, Leonard. But have they improved it? Have they improved? Well, them? that's a that 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 is a that is a good question. Uh, I would say in some cases yes, and in many cases no. But my point is, I see clean energy, I see electric vehicles, I see energy efficiency uh, at the point where all of those things were 15 years ago. And uh, again, the 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 solar panels that we have today are not the ones that Jimmy Carter put on the White House and thought everybody was going to get just because it was a good idea. They were too expensive. The technology wasn't right then. And they also ate up a lot of land. They ate up a lot of land. That's right. The electric vehicles that we have today are not the General Motors EV1 from, you know, 1990 that didn't take off. The, the, The technology is there. We need to make sure that more people have the access to it and can afford it. And again, that's where policy comes in. Do you foresee a time when all cars will be electric cars? I mean, one of the the positive things for American industry is that some of the car plants that closed down in the Midwest are now reopening to create electric cars. Absolutely. Well, it's not what I think. It's what the car makers think. I mean, General Motors has said they want to go 100% electric vehicle by 2035. Volkswagen has said something similar. Ford is doing the same thing. Look, they're coming out with a Ford, or they have come out with a with the best-selling car in America, the Ford F-150 truck, which is an electric model, and the demand is so high, they, you can't get one until 2024 right now. So, yes, I think absolutely cars are going to, uh, vehicles are going to go 100% uh, electric, and they're already well on the way to do that. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Enjoying my conversation with Bob Keefe. If you sign up to become a member of WBAI during today's show with a contribution of $50 or more, you can receive a free copy of the book we've been discussing, his book, Climate Economics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet. Just go online to give2wbai.org or call 212-209-2950 during today's show. That's give and then the number 2 WBAI.org or 212-209-2950. If you do that, we'll be happy to send you a copy of the book, but don't forget to make that $50 donation in the name of Leonard Lopate at large, and we thank you very much. And return to Bob Keefe, Climate Economics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet, published by Roman and Littlefield. He's the executive director of E2, Environmental Entrepreneurs, which is a national nonpartisan group of business owners, investors, and professionals who are concerned about the environment and looking for ways to improve the economy. Uh, you uh, 
hinted earlier and, and noted in this book that we're all paying a hidden climate tax with every restaurant and grocery bill because between 2020 and 2022, flooding, droughts, and other weather disasters helped to send the cost of corn, soybeans, wheat, and other commodities included in the Bloomberg Agricultural Spot Index up nearly 75%. Wow. Right. The Wall Street Journal wrote, Blad, blame bad weather for your bigger bills. That, that's right. And um, the, the Bloomberg Spot uh, Agriculture Index that you mentioned is just one way of measuring this. Uh, and again, there are a lot of things that go into the, the rising costs of food, both at our grocery store and our, uh, at our restaurants, and go into what is, the United Nations says is quickly becoming a food shortage, unfortunately, in a lot of places around the world. Hmm. Climate change is one of those things. Um, you know, when we have droughts that are withering wheat and corn crops across our country, and in other parts of the world as well, that eventually translates into the price of bread at the grocery store. Uh, again, when we have flooding events like we had in North Carolina and Iowa over the past few years where millions of, or in Kansas more recently with heat, when livestock uh, gets wiped out by uh, climate disasters, the cost of food goes up. So uh, this isn't something that uh, is avoidable by anyone, regardless of political party, political belief, whatever. Uh, it's hitting us all in the wallets. Whenever I mention these things, people say, yeah, but when I remember when I was a kid, there were terrible rainstorms and farms got flooded. How is this all that different? Is well, it a, a matter it's, of it's, quantity rather than than quality or, it, or it, both? <laughs> well, it's it's quantity and intensity. Uh, if, if you look at what Noah is telling us, which is the foremost expert on the weather and the climate, uh, these storms are clearly growing in intensity. They're clearly growing in number, number, and they're clearly growing in cost. Again, the four most expensive hurricanes in the past five years, the three most expensive wildfires, biggest and most expensive and craziest freeze we've ever seen in Texas, most expensive thunderstorm event in the, uh, in the Midwest two years ago. So uh, the, the, quanti the quantity and the intensity of these storms are increasing and they'll continue to increase. We know now if we continue to pump carbon dioxide and carbon pollution into the air at the levels we've been doing that. Now, we've been talking about climate change for a while now. Was the Obama administration involved in uh, doing things that might have made things a little better? Well, the Obama administration, through the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, uh, probably did more to spur clean energy growth and address climate change than certainly any administration before it. Uh, you know, through that policy, we invested something like $90 billion into clean energy projects and to um, energy efficiency projects Obviously and into research and development uh, of, of clean energy. What did we get from that? We got about 100,000 clean energy development 
As a as an organization that represents thousands of business people across the country, the the, the people in E2 often talk about job creation and job preservation. How do you ensure that the clean energy jobs you're talking about will be available to all and not just to some? Uh, what's the role of equity in the work that you're doing? Well, it's, it's a huge issue, Leonard, and we need to do something about that. Uh, we came out of a, with a report with some partners, E2 did, uh, a couple of years ago that took a good look at where these clean energy jobs are going. Again, we know that about three million. 3.4 million, 3.2 million people now work in clean energy around the country. But most well, we of also them are know white. is about. So, I'm sorry. Most of them are white, and most of them are male. Seventy percent of them are white, and seventy percent of them are male. Uh, women make up about fifty percent of the overall workforce in America. They make up about twenty-five percent of clean energy workers. Uh, blacks and African Americans make up uh, something like a, a 12%, 14% of the, of the overall economy workforce. In clean energy, it's only 8% or so. Do we have any so, idea why? Well, I, uh, I think there's a, a lot of reasons why. One of them is because of look at where this clean energy growth has been happening uh, in recent years. A lot of it has been in places like California uh, and other parts of the, re of the West where frankly, is uh, predominantly white or Hispanic in a lot of cases. Uh, we need to get, we haven't had a lot of clean energy growth in other parts of the country uh, to the to the level that we have in, in a place like California and the Pacific Northwest, for instance. Uh, so that's part of the reason. The other part of the reason is people need to understand these these jobs exist. They need to know that these are great opportunities for uh, that are available in every part of the country. I remember we had a, uh, a, a young woman in, in uh, Chicago who was uh, a part of our organization for a while, but she was a, a Hispanic woman who grew up in a relatively low income area uh, of Chicago who had no idea what solar was when she went into high school. She had no idea that that you could of of where you are, how you could get a job in something like solar. She had never even seen a solar panel, really. But thanks to one professor who, in a shop class or something, told her about jobs in uh, as electricians, she learned that one of those jobs could be working on solar. And as a result, she went out and got a great job with a local solar company and did very well at it. Uh, but again, we need to start educating our young people uh, across the country about the opportunities that exist in this area and let them know that these are jobs that pay 25 percent uh, more on average than uh, the the average across the entire workforce. You partnered on that study that you mentioned, which was called Help Wanted Diversity in Clean Energy, with groups including black owners of solar services Right, uh, American Association of Blacks and Energy and Energy Efficiency for All. I didn't even know that those groups existed. <laughs> well, fortunately, there's a lot of lot of great organizations that are are doing a lot of great work in this area, uh, and those are those are three of them. And you've added many people of color to your membership in the past year, including your first chapter uh, directors of color. Yes, and we need to do a lot more. 
Well, we are now in the third year of a global pandemic. How has E2's work changed as a result of uh, the slowdown, the economic slowdown that was brought on by the pandemic? Well, it's been less of the impacts of the pandemic, Leonard, and more of the impacts of the public and lawmakers' attention on, on the issue of climate change. Uh, you know, we have a lot of issues facing our society right now, taking attention away, uh, and rightly so, from addressing climate change. But it's still there. It's still growing. It's still a problem. And it's still an opportunity. Other countries around the globe have seized that opportunity a little bit more than the United States, especially in the previous four years. Uh, and unfortunately, we're falling behind a lot of other places around the country on the transition to the, to the, to the biggest economic opportunity we've ever seen, which is the transition to a cleaner economy. Aren't there also concerns about how this is going to affect future generations, our children and our grandchildren? Uh, of course. And look, there, people I ask mean, me I'm why old, I got I'm an in. old man. I'm, I'm not going to see the worst of this, but <laughs> some people I love will have to live through it. You're absolutely right. And people always ask me, Leonard, how did I get into this work or why do I do this work? And I tell them it's because of three reasons. Delaney, Grace, and Carly. Those are my three daughters. Uh, and hopefully the children that they have. We've got to do better. Well, I, I mentioned politics before uh, and legislation that just doesn't seem to go anywhere for one reason or another. How are we going to get past that? Is it a matter simply of voting certain people out of office? Or uh, is there a way to convince them, uh, the, the resistors, that it's in their best interest, the best interest of, of the, their constituents to change their thinking? I, I think it's important to show how this is uh, becoming a pocketbook issue. Uh, it's not becoming, it is a pocketbook issue, Leonard. Uh, and when something becomes a pocketbook issue, people start to sit up and take notice. And if they haven't noticed the impacts of climate change, uh, and, and the increasing costs that come with that, that we've experienced over the past five or 10 years, then they're not paying attention. And, you know, what, what I like to say, Leonard, is, look, I don't care if you like polar bears. I don't care if you believe in science. I don't care if you drive a Prius or a pickup truck. The fact of the matter is climate change is costing every American and that cost is increasing every year. The good news is we can do something about it. And by doing something about it, we can actually create jobs. We can actually drive economic growth uh, and we can make America more competitive on the world stage. We know this is happening. We know this is happening from the policies that we've passed in this country, whether it's at the federal level on clean energy or at the state level in places like New York, like California, uh, that have been leading the country, but other places as well. Well, when you mention other places, uh, there, th this is an issue that affects the whole world. And there's, Absolutely. A, new, there's a controversy right now at the EU about uh, some policies that they have enacted. Well, unfortunately, what's happening at the EU is that uh, they, they, like us and like other countries, have remained 
shackled to fossil fuels to the point where when a Russian dictator decides he wants to cut the spigot off or reduce the spigot or drive up prices, they're in a jam. Uh, we're facing the same thing here in the United States every time we go to a gas station. The answer isn't continually continuing to um, secure, secure those shackles to fuel that it continues to go up in price. The answer to me is to find a better solution. And right now, the better solution is there. Solar and wind's the cheapest power available in the country in most parts of the country. Electric vehicles are cheaper in the long run to operate. Uh, and they're coming down in price pretty rapidly. Uh, and uh, talk to anybody who drives an electric vehicle, how happy they are when they pass the gas station these days and never have to stop. But politicians who represent areas where there are mines, where there are oil wells, et cetera, yep. they don't see it that way. Are, well, are, are they I, just being totally short-sighted? Well, obviously, they, they, they need to take care of the people who elect them. And uh, we should be figuring out ways to, to ensure that the people who have worked in coal, who have worked in oil, who have worked in gas, uh, continue to have uh, great and growing occupations. The fact is those occupations are not growing right now. The occupations that are growing are in clean energy. Uh, and who better to, to transition the energy industry in America than energy workers? Uh, they need their politicians to figure out ways to, to quit keeping them, keeping the world harnessed to the technologies of the past and the jobs of the past and figure out ways to, uh, help them transition into the technology that's we're seeing right now growing in leaps and bounds. Now, so many of the problems facing this country, uh, are, uh, being proposed, uh, for, uh, being, uh, worked on on both federal and state levels. Is this both a federal and a state problem, or should we be thinking only in, in terms of uh, national policy? This is a problem where we need to pull out every stop that we have. And yes, that's federal policy, that's state policy, that's local policy, that's businesses, that's individuals. Uh, and fortunately, while the federal government has continued, or Congress rather, has continued to uh, stall on climate action. Uh, states are stepping up. Look at what happened in New York and Governor Hochul and, and um, the legislature just last week pa passed a great package of legislation that is aimed at making buildings, making appliances across the state more energy efficient, reducing carbon emissions, but also reducing costs for for everybody that uses those things. Look at what's happening with offshore wind. Fortunately, the, the state of New York is, is helping lead the country on that, creating a lot of jobs uh, and eventually reducing the prices that we pay and, and our dependence on oil, gas and coal and helping our environment and our economy at the same time. Uh, we need to do more of that. States can do a lot. We need the federal government to step up and do its part as well. Is there anything you want to add before we end this? Have we left anything out? Um, uh, I want to add my thanks to you for having me on and for paying attention to this 
this growing problem and this growing opportunity in shifting to a cleaner economy. And thank you for being such a good guest. I'm sorry we had that little technical glitch in the middle, but uh, I think we pretty much told the story that had to be told. I've been speaking with Bob Keep, Executive Director of Environmental Entrepreneurs, E2, uh, and uh, he's written a book called Climatonomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet, published by Roman and Littlefield. Thank you again. Thank you, Larry. And that brings us to the end of our show. My great thanks to our audio engineer, Reggie Johnson, and to Keziah Glow, the executive producer of Leonard Lopetti Lodge, for all the important work that they do throughout the week. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more of our one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access our nearly 700 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast which has surpassed 1 million plays, is available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else you get your podcast. You should also check us out on Twitter. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI to keep the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Uh, we uh, right now uh, are still have a way to go in completing uh, paying for the cost of our, our tower fund, and that is a major concern. So if you are, and we we're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by calling 212-209-2950 or by going, on, or by going online to give to WBAI.org right now. That's 212-209-2950. Online, give the number to WBAI.org. We, we need your help to keep bringing this unique, in-depth content, information you usually don't get anywhere else, or at least not in the depth that we try to present it in. And as I mentioned earlier, anyone who makes a contribution of $50 or more in the name of Blended located at large right now can receive a copy of the book we've been discussing, Climatonomics. Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet by Bob Keefe. So why not make that call right now to 212-209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy. And if you do that, uh, we'll say thank you. Uh, to anyone who becomes a BAI buddy for $10 a month or more, which allows us to prepare for the future, we'll say thanks with some perks, including a WBAI tote bag. So that's a nice way of announcing that you support WBAI when you're on the subway. But either way, I hope you'll call right now because BAI relies 100% on listener support. We don't take ads or foundation grants which allows us to be completely free speech radio. So if you tune in regularly to Leonard Lopez at Large, why not let us know that you appreciate what we do on the show by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 to play a part in keeping this historic station, the only one that on the New York radio dial that's completely listener-sponsored, alive and thriving with the tax-deductible donation. And I hope that you can join us on Monday when I expect to have a really exciting conversation with my guest, Ellis Coase, who will be discussing his new book on race and reckoning. 
But we'll see you then, and I hope that you have a great weekend.